Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Is Jesus your first love? Most of us can remember a time when we had a zeal for Christ that we unfortunately no longer have. Let's open to Revelation 2 and see how we can relate to the Ephesians in the letter to the church in Ephesus. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. Today we're going to be discussing Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 and we're just going to walk through it verse by verse and see what the Lord has for us today. So we're going to go ahead and open in prayer and uh, we'll get right to it. Well, Father, we do thank you for this time and we thank you for providing it. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your mercy and your goodness on our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. At the end of chapter 1, Jesus tells us that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and that the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Notice that he says that, that he walks among the golden lampstands. Now, the lampstands are the churches. And just as he was walking among the church of Ephesus, he's surely walking among all of our churches here today. You know, he's walking among the churches and he observes what we're doing. As we go through this, we're going to find that Jesus has it that he wants to, to really know what's going on in our lives. And so he's walking amongst us that he might know what's going on. Now, obviously, he's God. He knows everything. But this is to show us that he is he's literally walking among us and seeing what we're doing every day, seeing what we're saying every day. And that's something sometimes we lose, uh, you know, sometimes we forget that Jesus literally is with us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He's always aware of what we're doing. He's always aware of what we're speaking. That's something to take note of. Um, verse 2 says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, 
that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. He says, I know your deeds. So again, right there, Jesus knows what we're doing. He knows what we're doing and what we're not doing. He's paying attention and it's important to him. Uh, how we live our lives and what we do is important to Jesus. Now he's, uh, he's commending the church of Ephesus here. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. The people in this church are working hard for Jesus, and they're persevering um, through some difficult things. They're, they're continuing to persevere even in difficult times, and he commends them for that. What is our work ethic in the church today? Are we working hard for Jesus? Are we persevering for Jesus? I feel like, you know, sometimes I'm not working as I ought to and that uh, and I do need to persevere sometimes where, uh, where things are getting difficult. Now, certainly most of us, we're not persecuted for the name of Jesus, but we do go through difficulties. And when we do, we need to continue to persevere and, uh, and work hard at it. He goes on to say, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. You know, in the church today, sometimes it can be easy for us just to tolerate worldliness. We are around worldliness so much of the time, so often, that sometimes we can't tell the difference. We ought to have a grief when we're around things that are not consistent with Jesus, whether it's, whether it's deeds or whether it's language, um, whether it's the words that we hear, whether it's gossip. There ought to be a grief in our heart when we hear things that are, that are just not of Jesus. There ought to be a conviction in our hearts, certainly, when, when we walk in these ways. But he commends them and says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. How much do we tolerate the wickedness of the culture? How much do we allow it in our lives? It's almost like as if we've gotten used to it. Where the church of Ephesus still had a heart that it did not, you know, it did not have a, a tolerance for utter worldliness. And he says here at the end of verse 2, he says something very interesting. He says that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. There were, there were men coming into the church and they were claiming authority based on the fact that they said they were apostles. The principle here is very important. There is no spiritual authority in our lives or in your life or in my life based on title alone. So if someone is claiming authority in your life and they're saying, you know what, um, I'm a pastor or I'm a prophet or I'm an apostle or an evangelist um, or a teacher, title alone uh, does not give someone spiritual authority. These people were coming in and saying that they had authority and they should be listened to because they had the title of apostle. And Jesus commends them for testing them to see if they were, if they were genuine to the title. Spiritual authority is earned based on relationship. It's good to go to a church. It's good to listen to good Bible-based sermons. But that alone does not give someone spiritual authority. Now, spiritual authority is, is when a pastor or a mentor or a fellow Christian really spends time with you and they, they walk with you. They help you know the word of God. They help you to believe the word of God. There's a degree of accountability. Spiritual authority flows along the lines of relationship. 
Um, it certainly doesn't come from a title from myself or anyone else. And so one of the marks of spiritual authority is that you don't have any problem, quote unquote, being tested. Jesus again commends them and says that you have tested those who claim to be apostles. If we have spiritual authority or we're genuine in our ministry call, then we won't have a problem in people asking us questions. And as far as the test, the test is is always based on the Word of God. If someone is going to have spiritual authority in your life, it should always and only be based on the living Word of God. It should always have Jesus at the center of it, and it should always have the Scriptures as the ultimate authority. Again, all authority ultimately comes from the Word of God. So, when someone is going to, to want to mentor you or pastor you or have spiritual authority in your life, before they do that, you want to make sure that they're, they're sound in the scriptures, that they're sound in the word of God, that Jesus is at the center of their lives, and that they're willing to give you their time. Now, someone who, who does do these things and is sound in the scriptures and, um, again, walks intimately with Jesus and is helping you do that, then that's a legitimate spiritual authority in your life. But again, it's never based on a title. You want to watch out for someone that's going to claim spiritual authority in your life, just someone that comes along and says, hey, I'm an apostle of Jesus. This is what you need to do. Uh, that's not how it works. That's what these people were doing. The Church of Ephesus tested them and found out that they really weren't apostles. Someone comes to your life and says, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and uh, I've been called by God and this is what I need to do. You want to say, man, that's great. But, you know, let's sit down and open the word of God. Let's see how you handle the word of God. Let's, let's see who Jesus is in your life. And, and, you know, you just can ask him questions. Someone who is a true spiritual authority should have no problem answering, um, answering questions if they're going to claim this authority in your life or at all. And again, authority, again, flows along the lines of relationship. There's not somebody who you will meet today and is going to be a spiritual authority in your life. If you are a spiritual authority um, over someone or you have authority in their lives, it's because you've, you've loved them and you've given yourself to them and you care about them and you've, uh, you care about their walk with Jesus. You care about their growth as a disciple of Jesus and you've actually given yourself to that. That's where spiritual authority is. And even there, again, it's based on the word of God. The authority that we have is to exhort one another in the word of God, to believe the word of God, to obey the word of God, um, to repent where we make mistakes and have, uh, and have failed in our walk with Jesus. These are the things that spiritual authority is meant to, to be for, um, not just to be a boss. In verse 3, he says, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. You'll notice that Jesus has been, in these first three verses, he's been nothing but complimentary. He's done nothing but commend them. And he's spoken only about the good things that they've done. And the reason I mention that is he's going to get here in verses four and five, he's going to, you know, he's going to rebuke them. And he's going to talk about some things uh, that they haven't done well. And the reason that's important is we want to be careful as ministers that we don't just condemn people for the things that they've done wrong. 
certainly it is important that we hold people accountable and ourselves accountable for the areas uh, of our lives and the things that we're not doing correctly. And Jesus is going to do that here. And it's important that we do that. But at the same time, you know, he clearly is commending them first. He talks about the things they're doing well first. Before he talks about the things they're not doing well, he encourages them and, uh, and blesses them and, and tells them the things that he is pleased with. That ought to be our policy as well. We ought to look to encourage people for the things that they're doing well. We ought to, to bless them for the areas where their walk with Jesus is good and then move into the things that they can improve on. And sometimes we'll just cut right to the negative and that's not, uh, that's not what Jesus does here. If there are things, if, uh, if you are encouraging someone in their walk with Christ, take time to acknowledge the things they've done well, you know, as well as the things that need to be improved on. Verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Again, sometimes in our walk with Jesus, we have to persevere. Sometimes we go through difficult times. We have hardships sometimes, and man, it's, uh, it's easy to grow weary, isn't it? I'm sure, uh, I'm sure all of us can just recognize times in our lives where we just feel, we just feel weary. You know, we're not really, really giving our all to Jesus as we ought to. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. But again, these Christians in Ephesus are persevering. They're enduring hardships. They're not growing weary. They cannot tolerate wicked men. They've tested these people who are claiming authority as apostles. And so they're doing a lot of things well. Now, as we move into verse 4, he says, Yet I hold this against you. That's just pretty serious, right? Yet I hold this against you. I've said all these things you're doing well, yet I, I hold this against you. So Jesus is not afraid to point out the areas in our lives where we need to improve. And we should thank him for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you do care enough. Uh, any parent, right? For those of you who are parents, you take the time to correct your children and the things that they're not doing correctly. And, and certainly Jesus, as our master and our king and our God, takes the time here to say, yet I hold this against you. Verse 4, you have forsaken your first love. Wow. Lord, I ask you to forgive us where, uh, where we have forsaken our first love. Forgive me, Lord Jesus, where I have forsaken you as my first love. You know, sometimes we can be doing the deal. We can be going to church. We can be involved. And we just get to where we're moving so fast that we're doing all this church activity. We're doing all this Christian activity, but it really doesn't have any Jesus in it. That's when we have forsaken our first love. Our first love is always called to be Jesus himself. Jesus needs to be our first love, not our service to him, um, not our work, not our perseverance. Um, all these things are important. Going to church, all these things are good and valid, but we can actually do all these things and forsake Jesus I mean, that's remarkable. Lord Jesus, forgive us when we have just, uh, when we are active in our faith, when we're going to church, when we're doing the deal, but, um, but you are not at the center of it, Lord. You're, uh, our hearts are, are far from you, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Our first love needs to be Jesus. 
He says in verse five, remember the height from which you have fallen. So he asks them to think back, remember the height from which you've fallen. Think back to where, you know, you went wrong. Think back to where you got off track. Think back to the time, man, when, when Jesus was just so exciting, right? When walking with Jesus was exciting, when just reading the word of God and reading about Jesus, when you were just enthralled with him and when you just loved him so much. And think back to that time. Now, some may say, you know, I can't ever remember a time like that. And some have said that to me. That's okay, too, because wherever we are, if we know that we're in a place right now where, you know, where Jesus is in our first love, you know, we can have a lot of first loves, right? Maybe our first love is our time. Sometimes, man, we just want, we don't want to be imposed on with our time. It's a very precious thing to us. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes our first love can be, you know, worrying, right? But what is it that, that consumes our mind more than anything else, right? Sometimes it can be fun. Sometimes it can be food. Sometimes it can be our, our family, our wife and our children. Sometimes it can be our responsibilities. What is our first love? What do we love the most? Like I said, sometimes we're just so busy in life, just uh, our first love is a day off. Our first love could be just relaxing and, and watching television. And again, all of these things are, are good and important, but they knock Jesus down on the list a lot of the times. They certainly do in my life. You know, Jesus can fall to the sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth priority in our lives. And if that's the case, we too have forsaken our first love. And I think that most of us can probably recognize this. So he says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Repent and do. Repent and do. Now you notice he hasn't spoken at all about their belief here. Apparently their belief is sound, but it's, it's in their actions that they have forsaken him, right? Repent and do the things you did at first. Was there a time in your life where, again, man, you were just, you just woke up praising Jesus and you were just excited about uh, walking with Jesus? Was there a time in your life where you just couldn't wait to get to the word of God when you were excited when you read your Bible? Or, and again, m- many may say, no, I don't remember a time like that. Well, either way, you can make Jesus your first priority today. Either way, we can repent and begin to do the things that will show that Jesus is our first love, right? You know, maybe it's a devotional time. Maybe we have been, uh, you know, been, been slack or fallen off or we don't have any devotional time. Maybe, it's, again, it's, it can be in our prayer life. Maybe we haven't been thankful as, we, as often as we know we should be, right? Just spending time with Jesus in, in all the ways that we do, whether it's spending time with him in our Bible, spending time with him in, in prayer, spending time with him in praise and thanksgiving, spending time with him at church, spending time with him in fellowshipping with other believers, talking to other people about Jesus, just having a more intentional, deliberate, and intimate walk with Jesus is what will show that he's your first love, right? So repent and do the things you 
you did it first. Lord Jesus, we do ask you to help us to repent where we have not made you our first love. Forgive me, Lord, um, where I've allowed other things to come in and, and take hold of my attention, Lord. Forgive me when other desires, Lord, um, fill my heart uh, more than you. Lord, help me, help us to repent um, and to really begin to do the things that will, you know, that show that you are our, our first love, our first priority, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when we've often said that our first priority is God, when it, when it really is not, Lord. Um, so, Lord, help us today to truly um, repent and do things, Lord, that that show that you are our first love, Lord. Help us to just to truly walk in the Word of God, Lord, and to to live out the Word of God, Lord. Help us just to to have a time with you, Lord. Times of thanksgiving and praise, Lord. Um, help us to have more meaningful and intimate prayer life with you, Lord. That uh, that again, you might. Uh, increasingly become our first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, I don't like the rest of this part of verse 5. I don't know why he has to talk to us this way, but he does. He says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Again, it's a, uh, apparently he's serious about this. He feels like it's important that he understands that we'll have consequences for not repenting. And this is the case in every aspect of our lives. Whatever the areas of our life is, whatever the things in our life that are out of place, uh, we, we want to repent. The good news is, you'll notice, he says, if you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. The consequence or the discipline in our lives does not come primarily because of what we've done but because of our unwillingness to repent. The lampstand does not get removed here because of what they've done, because they've forsaken their first love. The lampstand's going to be removed if they do not repent. Repentance is is the strongest tool in your toolbox. Wherever we are today, whatever the areas of our life that that are not as they should be, let's repent today. Where Jesus has not been our first love, let's repent. Because he wants us to know that he's serious about it. He says, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, what does he mean by this? Remove your lampstand from its place. Well, what does a lampstand do? A lampstand gives light, right? The light would burn with oil. So a lampstand allows you to see. A lampstand will have oil or anointing it can represent. To remove the lampstand would be to remove a certain degree of his presence, right? Um, To remove a certain degree of his power. He says that he will remove the lampstand from the church of Ephesus. Now, I imagine there's a corporate lampstand for the church as a whole, but I imagine there's also an individual lampstand, right? So if... You know, if you're going out of your way to walk with Jesus and make him your priority, I would imagine that, you know, his, his presence is going to be with you. His power is going to be with you. His anointing is going to be with you. Now, there's also a corporate lampstand made up of all the individual congregations of all the churches around the world. And unfortunately, I believe that the lampstand has been removed in part, if not in large part, from many 
if not from most of the churches around the world today. If we look at the book of Acts, we can see what a, uh, what a fully empowered lampstand looks like. We can see the power of the early church and the power they moved in, uh, the signs and the wonders and the miracles that they moved in. And certainly we don't see that in our churches today. If we, are, if we would, as a body of Christ, one and all, come together and seriously come to repentance, I do believe personally that Jesus would restore the lampstand to us and we'd begin to see the, the signs, wonders, and miracles that, uh, that they saw 2,000 years ago. But as I said, we can also have a personal lampstand in our lives. And so again, whatever the areas of our lives are that, you know, that we need to, to correct, let's just repent today. Let's repent and obey the word of God. And uh, the more we do that, the more we'll see this, this lampstand removed. Again, a lampstand g- gives light. And so, you know, the more you'll see the work of Jesus in your life, the more we'll have eyes that see him and ears that hear him, the, the more intimately we walk with him. And certainly the more that we make him our first love, the more power we'll have in our lives to, uh, you know, to just in our walk with Jesus and, um, in our testimony. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He says in verse six, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Uh, the Nicolaitans were a people who, who said that lifestyle really wasn't important. That obeying the, the word of God and walking in purity really weren't important. So Nicolaitans, they, they were a group of people that that were saying that, that it's okay to live any way you want, to, to have any lifestyle you want, to live in impurity, and it doesn't matter. And certainly how we live does matter to Jesus. Now, again, our salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Our salvation has nothing to do with our, with our walk. But our walk is important. He actually says you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So how we live our lives and the purity in which we live our lives is, is extremely important to Jesus. Again, it's not about our salvation, but our lifestyle is clearly very important to him. Again, this entire letter um, really shows that to us. The last verse, verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Those who have an ear are the ones who are able to read through this, or if you're listening to this, and if you're convicted by it, if you listen to this and you say, you know what, you know, I really do need to get back to where Jesus is my first love, then you're one, you know, you're someone who has an ear um, that's hearing what the Spirit is saying. So again, if you have an ear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Those of us who have an ear are the ones that, again, when you hear the word of God, um, that you're convicted by it and that you can do an honest examination in your life. And that there's, there's conviction there and there can be joy there. Perhaps uh, you are walking with Jesus right now and he is your first love and he is your top priority. Um, well, thank you, Lord. Then have the joy in that and the peace in that. And, um, you know, that's not something you need to repent over. Now, perhaps there are other things you need to repent over or other areas of the word of God where you're not obeying the word of God. But 
if you have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches, you'll be convicted by the scriptures, you'll be encouraged by the scriptures. When you listen to this, it'll, you know, you'll be able to identify what's true in your life and what isn't. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And finally, he says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, who is it that overcomes? It says, to him who overcomes. Obviously, in this context, the one who overcomes is going to be the one who who does what Jesus has asked him to do, right? This is not talking about salvation. We're saved again entirely by what Jesus has done, uh, not by anything we do. But there's a place in here where he, you know, where he tells us to to repent. And so obviously the one who overcomes is the one who, you know, is going to repent and make Jesus the first priority in their life. Help us, Father, to to truly repent and to make Jesus the priority in our lives more and more and more and more. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And he says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Most who read this would think that this is just uh, a future eating, but I believe the closer we walk with Jesus, the more we walk out his instructions with us, the, the closer our intimacy is with him, the more that he's our first love. I think we can eat from that tree of life right now. Obviously, there'll be a time where we'll eat from the tree of life in heaven, but um, I think Jesus will give us spiritual food now and spiritual blessings now if we'll walk with him and, again, repent for those things you know, that are out of order in our lives. Well, Father, we do thank you for the word of God. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. Father, we thank you for, for these seven verses. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the things that you see in our lives. I thank you that you see our deeds. I thank you that you see our hard work. I thank you that you see our perseverance, Lord. Um, Lord, I ask you to help us to not not tolerate wickedness, Lord. Help us to not tolerate the wickedness of our culture and the worldliness of our culture. And help us, Lord, to not participate in it. And forgive us where we have, Lord. Um, and Lord Jesus, I do ask you to, to help us to test those who are claiming spiritual authority uh, based on a title alone. Father, we just love you. We bless you and we thank you. Again, Father, help us to repent um, where we've forsaken our first love, Lord Jesus. Um, forgive us, Father, where we have forsaken Jesus. Lord Jesus, help us to repent and to walk with you, Lord, and to make you our first priority more and more and more and more. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. Lord, help us to be overcomers that we truly may, may eat from the tree of life in this life and the next. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.